Hello and welcome back to Sci Cry Cry, the podcast. My name is Eleanor and I'm here again today for another episode discussing the psychology of the climate crisis. So today I want to talk about climate delay, which in many ways is a facet of climate denial. Um, I think we are all aware of climate denial, but in the context of this podcast and the kinds of people who are likely to engage with it, I'm hoping that most of you believe in man-made um, climate change and climate delay is a much more sneaky way um, to essentially push back against climate action and justify inaction. So I'm going to be discussing this issue in relation to a paper by Lam et al. from 2020, which identifies four of these, as they call them, discourses of denial that crop up very regularly in climate debates. Um, I personally found learning about this very gratifying and empowering. It kind of identified something that had always bothered me when hearing debates um, or calls for actions being shut down um, in the area of climate change. So the first one of these discourses um, is this tendency to redirect responsibility and to generate a lot of discourse around, you know, who is most responsible for this. So this kind of happens on a few levels. Um, so one that I think we're familiar with and have discussed already on the podcast is this um, tendency to direct solutions and blame on the individual level. So, like we discussed, the concept of a carbon footprint that, um, you know, we should all be aware of exactly what we are contributing to, um, a, like, the climate crisis and how we're doing that, um, or, like, the importance of individuals recycling. Um, but it's, while this stuff is, like, really important, it kind of ignores the societal influences and drivers of individual behaviour like we talked about before um, and so this is not to say that individual responsibility isn't something important but rather that the focus should be on collective action that could drive policy change in the areas where it will be like have a much greater impact um, and this redirection of responsibility is also seen on an industry level and an international basis so um, you'll often hear debates around why is one industry being blamed so like agriculture versus like the car industry versus like the clothing industry um, so no one is willing to accept sanctions because they're kind of like well I'm not the most responsible um, and it's a very difficult thing to calculate and also even if one industry took action it wouldn't be enough um, and also I think someone that we also hear a lot in Ireland is why should a country as small as Ireland make these transformational changes and it'll just be a drop in the bucket internationally um, so this is kind of a topic that you could discuss and debate at length forever, get caught up in it, um, arguing amongst ourselves uh, while time keeps sticking. And that's the thing, this idea of delay, when it is such a time-sensitive issue, um, delay is very dangerous. So this push for non-transformative solutions is seen in a number of areas. So for instance, technological optimism, uh, this idea that we're on the brink of a breakthrough, we'll find some new way to convert all of our um, nasty pollution into something benign um, or that we'll figure out how to live on the moon and we won't need the earth anymore. Um, or even that there's this idea of cleaner fossil fuels that we can continue to use fossil fuels um, in a sustainable way. These are all kind of delaying the kind of transformative 
action that we do need. Um, and another method is to have narrow definitions of success. So if you're setting very low targets for yourself and claiming a great success, it kind of distracts um, from the kind of real goal. Um, and also voluntary opt-in policies. These are all things that uh, Lam and colleagues identified um, in relation to this um, one discourse. So another discourse used um, quite often to delay action is this emphasis on the downsides. Um, so often this will crop up as an appeal to social justice that kind of focuses on how this will negatively affect people um, if certain policies or actions are brought in. Um, so it always kind of frames a negative at the centre of their um, discussions. Um, and this is used to shut down policy change and basically just delay it. So this can crop up as policy perfectionism where uh, politicians want to spend ages working through all of the kinks within a certain policy when in fact um, this is an immediate issue that needs immediate action. Um, it also comes up in people just appealing to uh, equality, to appealing to justice. Um, so you'll often hear, um, in Ireland specifically, um, people complaining about, or sorry, complaining isn't quite the right word, but people um, discussing uh, windmills. Um, that are being put in, put into the countryside and whether these are devaluing farmers' lands or the land of farmers around them um, and if there are any negative health outcomes that you might not know yet about um, wind farms and the concerns of ordinary people are kind of being piggybacked on to then delay these actions um, that actually will probably go to help most people um, and so one solution um, or one kind of way to address such a discourse would be to appeal to uh, the climate justice movement um, and who have been, who, who assent, which essentially just seeks to address this. So I just want to link this in with um, a module that Simon and I did last semester uh, called Theology of the Climate Crisis. Um, and so... Essentially, I wrote this essay um, on a paper that I, on a book that I read um, about the link between sex trafficking and oil fracking in North Dakota, um, which essentially uses this social diagnostic tool to diagnose a broken mindset that um, values and allows exploitation of that which we see as lesser. Um, so we see the earth as lessers, so therefore we can engage in this really intensive, really harmful uh, practice of oil fracking. And we see uh, women, and in this case, I think it was, there was a majority of indigenous women were being sex trafficked and exploited in this way. So we see um, women and indigenous women being valued as less. So therefore their exploitation is allowable within a certain context. Um, so this essentially goes back to this idea that these broken mindsets of valuing ourselves as humans and valuing our hierarchies within humans, um, that this is incredibly pervasive in our society 
and that it's kind of driving all these kinds of structural violence um, and that we cannot achieve social equality without to addressing climate change. Um, these things are interconnected and those who are oppressed in other ways will always bear the brunt of the consequences of climate change, of climate change most heavily. Um, so this, dis- this discourse around the downsides um, is important but it ultimately delays and acts as a hurdle for climate action, which would benefit us all. And addressing this is incredibly important for those who are most vulnerable within society. Um, so climate action and social justice go hand in hand. So the final discourse that is kind of discussed within this paper is um, the idea of using surrender um, to delay action so um, that things have gone too far, that climate collapse is inevitable and that trying is futile. Um, so this is something that's kind of easy to understand how you could fall into this mindset um, of giving up when a task feels so huge and when it demands so much transformational change, it can feel quite overwhelming. And um, you know, we were discussing climate emotions with Sive in an earlier podcast, in an earlier episode of the podcast, um, and I think we know sometimes activists in this area or just people who like care a lot can burn out when they're moving between these intense emotions and action um, without taking time for self-care. Um, so I think we can understand um, why, how this would happen, but I think we can also understand how this would be a barrier to action. So there are a few things that I would like to kind of discuss this relation to. So I kind of want to direct you guys towards an article by Rebecca Salmet, um, that kind of invites us to reimagine this doom type mindset and to think about climate action not as something that will deny us, but something that will be fruitful and that will free us from these terrible behaviours that we're kind of entrenched in. The idea that living in a more environmentally friendly way will allow us to reconnect with nature and to find kind of value and reward in things that we intrinsically feel good from um to know that we're no longer like our daily habits are no longer contributing to the collapse of our world um to know that there would be a future or that we are working towards a future um for any children we might have um and so I think reframing the crisis into a kind of opportunity for us um, rather than something that will bring about bad. Um, and so one like proposed philosophy around this is alternative hedonism, um, where you kind of, which essentially just poses that we wouldn't deny ourselves, but rather we would um, reimagine the ways and re-understand the things that we get joy from. So the idea that consumerism is actually just a social behaviour that we're using to connect and to kind of frame climate action as something that would be bad for us or that will deny us. But instead, it's an opportunity for us to live kind of enjoyable lives, slower lives that are more deliberate in their enjoyment um, and also I do want to talk about the importance of kind of joy and art in 
these things and hope and connection and celebration with one another and that we can kind of come together and find community in these ways. And so just to kind of tie all of this together, um, I'm going to have just my song for the week is going to be uh, Nina Cried Power by Hosier and uh, Mavis Staples is also on the track. Uh, so the Nina in the song is Nina Simone, who was an American singer and civil rights activist. Um, so I kind of chose this song because it's an ode to the power of protest and the role of art in collective actions. Um, uh, when I was like thinking about this, I went back and I watched the music video. This is really emotive, um, like beautiful thing. <laughs> um, essentially, Hosier invited in a number of Irish activists who've been involved in the kind of in bringing about the kind of transformational um, social change that has happened in Ireland in the past um, number of years and it's really powerful and in Hosier's own words the song is intended as a thank you note to the spirit and to the legacy of protest and um, I think it speaks to a long history of protest and the changes that people can bring about and um, that have collectively improved our lives. It reminds us that there is precedent in protest and that we can draw inspiration from those who came before. Um, it's not the waking, it's the rising. It's the grounding of a fo foot uncompromising. Um, so it's not knowing that something needs to be, the do be done. It is the doing of that thing. Uh, so thank you guys so much. That's all for this week. And I hope you enjoy the song. Uh, goodbye. It's the rising It is the grounding of a foot uncompromising It's not forgoing of the light It's not the opening of eyes It's not the waking, it's the rising It's not the shade we should be past it It's the light and it's the obstacle that casts it it's the heat that drives the light It's the fire it ignites It's not the waking, it's the rising It's not the song, it is the singing